Oh, hey there, listeners and juicers. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you have fallen in love with the Draw Your Dice podcast and want to help put some new fruit on the table, but don't feel comfortable making a monthly commitment, well, you can support the show via the ACAST supporter feature. No gift too large, nor too small. Just click on the link in the show description and know that I am sending you the strongest hug when you do so. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Empathy, understanding like that you aren't the only one playing this game, that you are making this for a user who could be any variety. Uh, you know, you don't know if somebody's coming at it depressed, anxious, hungry, had a bad day at work. You know, you don't know. That all starts to mentally bring people down. And so when presented with something to learn, you, you want to design in a way that you're thinking about those users. My name is Jeremy Gage, and welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. This is an educational show involving all things tabletop role-playing industry. Listen alongside me as we hear from creators, entrepreneurs, and supporters about their personal best practices, principles, and philosophies. I encourage anyone from the budding game designer to a seasoned publisher and everyone in between to sit down with us and enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Draw Your Dice podcast. My name is Jeremy Gage, as you heard in the intro. But as always, these episodes are never about me. It's about who I brought to you today. And I have made a connection with someone that I have actually seen uh, their work before. I've I love <laughs> I love when you all can't see the video of this and where maybe I'll do maybe I'll open up to YouTube. I don't know. Forget it. But the purpose of this introduction is to present to you a uh, wondrous graphic and layout designer, illustrator, overall RPG supporter. You've heard them on the Shape Shift podcast. You've heard them on Tabletop Babble podcast. I would like to welcome to the show Amber Seeger. Hi, I feel like I need to have an air horn. Just add our own sound effects. Hi, yes, it's me. It's Amber. <laughs> Amber, thank you for being here today. It's well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited to talk. As as for those who may not know who you are, would you present present yourself to the audience as you present yourself to the internet in terms of pronouns, what what you do, any plugs for things as well? Because I would love to get you connections slash money, and I want that upfront as soon as possible. Ooh, 
money. So yeah, I am, like I said, hi, Amber. I also go by Rocket Orca on every social media. My pronouns are they, she, he, and I don't really have a preference. You, Whatever your brain wants to say, go for it. I am a UX certified graphic designer. I own, well, let me say this again. I co-own a podcast network called Geekspective, which hosts Tabletop Babble, Shapeshift, and there's lots of other great shows too, like Dames and Dragons. It's a 5e actual play, Red Mage, Blue Mage, about Magic the Gathering. That's another show I'm on. Whew, I do a lot of stuff. Just, I don't know. <laughs> so many things, Jeremy. But most of our stuff you can find at geekspective.com and rocketorca.com. Yeah, I've recently started doing more and more stuff in the TTRPG space for graphic design and like layout, as you said. And that's primarily how I'm, I've been operating the last, I don't know, year or so now. Awesome. I'm happy to have your insight here today for sure. And, you know, I want more support members to be on these talks. So I'm excited. Um, Additionally, for an icebreaker for the audience, would you just sort of talk about your kind of touches and getting into the hobby of tabletop role playing? Would you also sort of talk about now you have a beautiful blog over on your personal website about your the different character sheets that you design in terms of thinking about accessibility and everything like that. But what was maybe like the first game that really like I need to design a better character sheet just for myself in general? So, yeah, an introduction to how you got started in the hobby, and then what sort of made you transition being a support designer for uh, the same industry? Sure. So with most things... Well, let me say this again. So with with most things in this space, it really ties back to my best friend of like 15 years, my business partner, Josh Long, or also known as Evil DM Josh on Twitter. He is the reason I ended up getting like really into the the hobby space. So brief personal history. I've always been a creative person. I grew up with my my younger brother and I just drawing our own like self-insert anime characters and writing fan fiction. But I was always a very socially anxious person. I really didn't do that with people outside of just my brother. Even when I went into high school, I kind of knew about role-playing games, but the idea of like acting out a character or performing any sort of thing or having a spot on like having a spotlight on me was terrifying. Then enter Josh when I was like 19, I was in college, and he noticed my creativity and said, Oh, you're gonna love Dungeons and Dragons. You're just gonna have so much fun. And I went no, I will never play this Dungeons and Dragons. You could never do that to me. I refuse to roll these dice and slash at goblins. How dare you even suggest such a thing? I mean, it wasn't quite like that, but that's what I was like. I, I probably politely said, no, thank you. But he was persistent and eventually got it to the point where he somehow roped me into we're playing D&D tonight. I was like, oh, okay, cool. And from there, I ended up... I ended up playing in a seven-year-long campaign with him <laughs> as Aww. the GM. And it was really, really good. And he was the one who started doing the podcasting. So when Geekspective first started, we were trying to be like Giant Bomb, kind of like doing like video game reviews and that kind of stuff. 
but Josh really liked doing podcasting, specifically actual plays. And so our first campaign we ever recorded was called Evil Is As Evil Does, where we played all evil characters. Content warning for that show, if you go find it, it is an evil campaign. It was also made in the late 2000, you know, 2010, maybe nine. So there's probably stuff on there that I, I just don't remember. Probably not good. Anyway, so... Along that time, I'm also in, I'm also going to college for graphic design. Specifically, I thought I wanted to work in marketing, where I would be like building brand things and like doing marketing campaigns and helping with that. But I ended up getting a job in a more technical field where I was doing layout for product, for actual products. So juvenile products. Um, I know a lot about car seats. Don't have any kids. (laughs) But I can put your kid in a car seat and install it for you. Like, you could actually get, like, a certificate of, like, being good at installing car seats. (laughs) You can become a technician. True facts. So I'm, I'm doing graphic design as my school. I'm doing it for work. And I'm playing Dungeons and Dragons. And the D&D that we played for seven years was 3.5. Which, if you're familiar with 3.5 or Pathfinder, it's still a pretty crunchy game. Or it is a really crunchy game. Especially as you get higher level. And since we played for seven years and I had a wizard character, I ended up getting to be like a level 16 uh, death touch or Death Walker slash Nuctomancer. I had a whole Vecna thing going on. And it was unwieldy using my character sheet. It was hard to find stuff. It was, like, not accessible for me. Pre-show talk, I was talking about my, you know, ADHD stuff. And, like, getting me to find stuff and focus on things was very difficult. And so I ended up just redesigning the whole 3.5 character sheet specifically for my character. So it was a very unique design for my character and everybody thought it was amazing. And then everybody at the table wanted me to redesign their character sheet, wanted me to redesign their character sheets. And that's kind of where I was like, oh, I could do graphic design for TTRPGs. That's interesting. I will not do anything with this information for the next five years. And then I I just kept progressing at my, my day job, right? And so at some point I realized we were doing user experience, product reviews, and trying to improve our instruction manuals to help with like reducing calls and complaints and returns. I actually went to get my master's in instructional design and technology. And at some point I was like, oh, oh no, it wasn't at some point. My boss at my day job wanted me to do a presentation at a conference for juvenile products about what I'm doing in instruction manuals because we've had such great feedback and good like actual data and research around what we've done and I gave I gave that presentation it was really well received and I was like oh I could apply this to games so I ended up doing a talk at Gen Con, a panel about designing better character sheets based off of everything I learned in my professional life, plus my experiences playing D&D 3.5. And thus, I became a graphic designer in the TTRPG space. <laughs> Whew. 
And here we are. And here we and are now. What a powerful designer you are. Yeah, my sort of first connection for you was when you were redesigning the character sheets for Zwehander RPG. <laughs> I saw a post from, his name is Dan? I Daniel, I think Daniel Fox, probably, yeah. 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 But that was the first time I had ever heard you. I popped in for a couple of your Twitch streams when you were doing that. Very fascinating stuff, which led me to your blog articles that I had the pleasure of reading again this week. But yeah, it is, as you talk about I think about, like, the druid class in 5e, as you were talking about the wizard. And I've never played uh, 3rd or 3.5 or Pathfinder. But the druid is a crazy class that you have to remember a ton of stuff. Not only whatever spells you can cast, but all the forms you can shapeshift into. And then you also have to, like, keep track. Like, if you're a circle of the land druid, you have to remember which spells are being added to your spell list. And, like... Just a whole bunch of extra things on top of spell casting, which is already not an easily received feature because of how how much information is in a single spell duration. What action can you cast it on? What exactly does it do? Does it do? Is it upgradable? What's the narrative implications of casting this thing? Right? Uh, yeah. Components. It's a ton of keywords inside of a single one spell. Let's not talk about that you're able to cast like 50 different spells in a single day. <laughs> so, and you have to decide which ones you like. <laughs> yes. And let's, and it's, it's kind of why my brain, like, so part of what you were alluding to, the blog post, was it's actually a my entire presentation that I did for Gen Con or I did for panels for Geekspective at these conventions. I actually took the time to just like write it out, get it up there, put the examples and had it up there for people to, you know, actually read through. I also have done a presentation on our YouTube channel at Geekspective, so you can actually find a video of me going over all that stuff. And one of the big things is like I you know, going into my master's degree, which I, oh, I regret, but I also don't regret. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of baggage there and also a bunch of college debt, student loans. We are. Uh. Uh, thanks, America. <laughs> and one of the things I was that always stuck with me in my instructional design degree was like how much it was about like brain stuff, like literally how much can a human brain actually process? Like what are those cognitive limitations and one of the big things that i struggled with in dnd character sheets i mean not just dnd like any character sheet right is that there's this whole idea that less paper is better so like get as much information as you possibly can on a page because to have a character sheet that is you know, six pages is too much for people Mm -hmm. when it's actually the opposite where it's like Hmm. when you look at a piece of paper, it's easy for me to look at six pieces of paper and go, ah, six pieces of paper. But I look at a piece of paper with 300 things on it. I go, oh, that's 300 things. So if it's a piece of paper that has, you know, three major categories on it, that's much easier to digest in your brain juices than you know 300 chunks of i don't know something that's undigestible for me it's mushrooms so you know (laughs) what an analogy i don't know i go off on these weird (laughs) things not weird at all i'm i'm loving i'm here for it so yeah before maybe we can sort of dissect those blog posts a little bit in this episode today but sort of the first thing i'd i'd like to ask is you know if i 
wanted to approach you to design something for my game, right? I think this is this is an interesting question because I think it'll help with the business side of things. What do you look for when you're communicating with a a client, if you will? Like what do you is there an art brief that you need? Is there like do you need a copy of the game? What's the intention behind this mechanic and that mechanic, et cetera, et cetera? Like what do you look what is what would be the best way to present the right amount of information for you to get to work? Sure. So I think this will probably be a longish answer. But to start with, like the first thing, if you're like, okay, I'm a game designer and I want to reach out to somebody to design, let's just go with character sheet because that's what we've been talking with. First off, you should probably just ask, you know, what's your budget, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and ask what their rates are and just be upfront. You know, sometimes it's saying, I want you to do this, but I have to do a Kickstarter first because I, I just want to, and I just want to know how much I would have to budget for you for that. And then to give the information for them to give the rate back, you should be saying something like the pitch of what your game is. So like if you're pitching a game to like that first like tagline to your Kickstarter, you know, it's a rules light, I don't know, tension building uh, narrative focused game. That kind of helps me understand that, oh, I'm probably not going to have to do a lot of charts you know, mm-hmm. on a thing. It's probably not going to take me that much time. I really, I already, if you already have, like you've been playtesting your game, show me your playtest character sheets, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's very important. I also say, okay, give me, what what is your character creation rules, right? I want to be able to build my character because that's the first thing that people usually do with a character sheet is they build their character. Mm-hmm. So give me those things. And then I will say, you know, what is what's important to your game is travel important is combat important you know what dice will they be ruining rolling and 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 most of the stuff that you've been taking notes during playtesting is going to be very helpful for your graphic designer or ux designer or whoever you're looking for to give you input so that they can go through it like you mentioned the those wyhander shows which Mm -hmm. i think exists on the andrews mcmeal zweihander or whatever youtube they have so if people want to go see that you can look up the character redesign for that the first thing i do is i take stuff and i actually go through character creation because i want to see how i fill out the character sheet and i think that's it i think to get you started right is so let me try make a bullet list out of everything i said ask about rates give people your play test character sheets what's important about your game, what people are actively going to be engaging with as I use the character sheet. Because I've noticed, you know, a lot of emphasis gets crammed in like, like, let me, let me me say this again. Another character sheet I had worked with on was a game called Against the Dark Master. And when I first got their first playtest sheet back, I saw that there was a huge amount of space dedicated to overland travel. And I, in character creation, there wasn't really anything about it, but it was also with other character information stuff. And I was like, could this go on a different sheet altogether? Could this, if, is this important? How often do you travel? Is this a huge mechanic of game? Whereas like a game like Ryutama, which is a game I love and I'm playing on my show Shapeshift right now, travel is a huge part of the game. So I put all the travel stuff together. And, you know, so that's it's 
people think in categories. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of rambling now. Mm-mm. I probably answered your question and more, but I, I, I mean, that's kind of my thought process around it. So if somebody's listening to this and wants to get a character sheet design, I think there's some good nuggets in there. <laughs> Just got a pan for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, things, as you were sort of talking about that last example of the overland travel, one of the first things that came to mind was how Band of Blades does all of its character sheets, right? It segments the specific jobs of the commanders it has the the soldiers character sheets be their own thing and like those are set aside right it gives the commander a map it gives the marshal a uh, roster list it gives the quartermaster all of their actions they can take for downtime like all the stuff that's important to those jobs now mind you i've said in the past that that is like a 30 sheets game and i'm the one that always has to be responsible for not losing any of those papers as gm so I don't know, I only do it in Roll20 now because sometimes the binder gets messed up. Even still, it's like it's like how you were saying, having a lot of pages isn't really a cognitive load because it's almost like it's almost like a task switching for me in a lot of ways, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. If there's a if there's a side of my character sheet that's strictly dedicated to the combat and the other side is dedicated to non-combat things, right? Like what would it what would a D&D 5e character sheet look like if you took like the skills list and some of the other like background features and stuff and put those on the backside and then you would what open up room for spells on the other combat side, right? Like just some quick note things, but as we have already said, the druid is a cr- spellcaster <laughs> crazy. But I think about those things of like shifting gears, right? Like yeah. shifting mm-hmm. mode of play and having that be its own sheet. I think I like that. I, you know, there are probably other people who listen to this that also like that. Yeah, I think it, again, it, going back to that whole cognitive load thing, like there is legit a formula. Somehow, some brain scientists somewhere came up with the like people can really only hold like four plus or minus two things in their brain at a time or three plus or minus two things. So mm-hmm. up to six. And once you get past six, you're like, you know, and so I think when you look at a character sheet, to me, if I go, this this page has everything I need to know about my spells, like an overview, right? Because mm-hmm. I, as a wizard, had to make a whole spell book. This is everything I have to know for my overview of spells. This is my spell sheet. I can just go to the spell sheet and I know I won't get lost in it because and then you also start to build a hierarchy of information in your design. And so I, I really like information design. Like I love graphic design too. I like making beautiful things, but you can make something beautiful and that it it just, but it still doesn't quite work. Here is an example outside of TTRPG space about that, where in my day job, I am making a baby gate instruction manual right now, mm-hmm. which Dear listener, if you have ever, if you have children and have ever had to put a baby gate together, I feel your pain. The instruction, they they rebranded it. This is before I had my little UX fingers all over it. They rebranded it and they made it look like aesthetically modern and like look really good. But as soon as I started to get into it and try to figure out what the heck is a wall cup? Where does this go? How does that work? <laughs> Wait, I just did that. Why am I doing it again? Why is it referring me to a step that doesn't exist? You know, <laughs> like that's a thing that happens, right? You can make something look beautiful, but if your information structure like is not good, then you just have a beautiful mess. And ultimately what we're trying to do with acting on role playing and and impro- using product is is we're trying to get and teach and like get information across. So I'm a huge 
proponent of like really spend that time with the nuts and bolts worry about graphic design later just get the structure there mm-hmm. off of my soapbox <laughs> scaffolding get a is dr- important yes it is yes it is yeah that's i think that's all really good information i mean i it, it even something i constantly i said i said something to the effect of like when i was trying to design my own systems i think about how people are computers like they are the hardware and then your game is software right Mm -hmm. and then for me that analogy is like okay how well coded is my software or how much like ram is this going to take up when it's in operation right like i think it's just such a fascinating analogy for me personally just to you know, when I think about D&D 5e, I'm like, this thing isn't coded well. It takes up, like, 16, the full 16 gigs I got in my brain to, like, <laughs> let things happen. Where I think about maybe something... What's on my what's on my goddamn shelf right now? Like, Aegon. Aegon doesn't require that much RAM in my brain. Aegon by John Harper, second edition, if anyone's listening and, and, and wants to look it up. But it doesn't require a ton of, like, information as far as, like, character sheet stuff is concerned. So it's like six gigs of RAM or seven gigs or whatever, you know, whatever you, it parses out for you. And then the other thing I think about is like, not every hardware is the same. I may have 16 gigs, but someone else may only have 10 gigs, eight gigs, two gigs, right? Like short-term memory is different for a lot of people and all that processing power and long-term memory stuff. Like, are you going to be able to remember all the rules of D and D every, you know, for people who watch critical role, like, they always don't all remember the rules for the game, and they've been playing for, what, going on four years now? Longer with Pathfinder stuff? So, like... Right. I mean, like, same... Like, that analogy is perfect. Equating us to, to computers is... is Or... Hmm, let me say that. Let me, let me try that again. Mm-hmm. I think that's a perfect analogy. I think I even use it in my blog and in my you know, my presentations and and stuff and talks because your working memory, the place where you're trying to actively like execute on something Mm -hmm. is like RAM and your long-term memory is, you know, something that is like your, like your drive, you know, your, your storage. Cash files. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, and you're right. Like for me specifically, and anybody else out there who has, you know, learning disabilities or for me, ADHD, I have really bad focus. I tend to like get really overwhelmed really quickly, which is hilarious that I write instruction manuals. I mean, it's good that I write instruction manuals, but like to get that information that I can then chunk out into an instruction manual sometimes is very difficult for me. But yeah, I, ugh, gosh, I love this topic so much because I think I talk about it in my my blog posts and in again my talk that it's derived from that empathy understanding like that you aren't the only one playing this game that you are making this for a user who could be any variety you know you don't know if somebody's coming at it depressed anxious hungry had a bad day at work. You know, you don't know. That all starts to mentally bring people down. And so when presented with something to learn, you you want to design in a way that you're thinking about those users. Where I got my certification, my US, where I got, where I got my user, <laughs> I'm getting passionate and my mouth is starting <laughs> to get go, let's wet. Let's go, let's <laughs> go. 
it's fine. Where I got my user experience certification, the the company is called Nielsen Norman Group. And they have, actually, I could probably pull out some stickers because I have it in my, my binder, but they have things that are like, make it easy, it depends, or you are not the user, things like that. It's, it's really hard when you make something that is yours, you're in it all the time, and then you have somebody else work on it and they don't get it. Mm-hmm. It can feel very, I don't know frustrating but you gotta have you don't understand my thing yeah it's because you know you are not the user another (laughs) sticker i have and there are people out there a diverse group of people coming at stuff in a multitude of ways and so if you could empathize enough to that user then you're gonna just elevate everything that you're doing in your design work and you're gonna make it more approachable you're gonna open it up to a wider base of users and like that's good for you because you want to sell your stuff and making stuff like easy for people who have ADHD or dyslexia is just going to be good design for a human brain right like no oh my god i don't want to say that not like a dyslexic person doesn't have a human brain oh my god <laughs> lizard it's like when brain. You, yeah my lizard brain no it's like when you say ah yes a human and a baby like a baby <laughs> is not a human but like somebody who has that kind of brain right a person who is more, I don't know, neurotypical mm-hmm. would also be able to use it really well and effectively. Mm-hmm. And there I have stopped talking. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into, so let's, let's talk about some best practices, Amber. Oh yes. Um, as far as let's just stick with the topic of character sheet design. Cause I think that even for game authors as they write out their books, I think a lot of them, at least in the spheres that I've been exposed to try to design character sheet first, because it tells them exactly how much mechanic they should have in their game basically. But what I'm here to ask you is in case someone doesn't have the dollars to hire you or uh, any sort of budget thing, where's some, what are some best practices we can look at, when we are designing for someone who is for designing for the user not for ourselves right what what does a game designer what should a game designer look out for when they are designing a character sheet okay i will do we'll see we'll see how i feel how it doesn't have to be a one-to-one distillation you can like general it around because they you know go go read the blog article yeah the, the go to rocketorca.com oh my god dot that gun <laughs> dot gun no <laughs> go to rocketorca.com and uh, my blog is there and you can find it under i'm sure design the design tag but to distill it for audio for this podcast one if you can't hire me fully to design a character here you can't get a graphic designer to do that well one you could also see if you want to have an hour of my time to consult with me like i could also do that for you that's totally fine it would be literally a phone call where we talk we go through what you're struggling with or i can give you a one-on-one about what i would do and how i approach stuff from there i would say like if you have the time and the friends and the resources and the availability to do playtesting you should be doing as much playtesting as you can and not only just the game itself, but get that feedback on the character sheets. 
specifically ask people, how did you like these character sheets? What were you, was there any struggles? Ask them for their honest, don't hurt my, like, it's not gonna hurt my feelings. Please give me the feedback. I need this to make my game better. You're going to help me because people are nice and people won't want to criticize stuff, especially if they're right there with you. So maybe if you're having somebody else play test it, mm-hmm. have them like part of the play test sheet that you send out, ask these questions. You can also ask to keep the character sheets that people use, whether it like it's screenshots of it, how they've been using them online or how they've been you know printed out and that you don't really need a beautiful character sheet to do playtesting. You really don't need it. Like, it could be, I tell people all the time, if you have a piece of computer paper and a Sharpie marker, and you know you have fairly decent handwriting that's legible and readable, or find somebody who does, you could have your character sheet be photocopied pieces of paper. You can use Excel is also an excellent version uh, way to do it. You don't really need to have a lot of graphics, because like I said at the beginning, like, the character sheet has a function you want to make sure that function works before you start like adding flavor and form to it so so far consult you can do that play test get actual play test stuff on your character sheet and it doesn't have to be like filigree and cool looking boxes or you know blood stains or whatever you want to put on your character sheet then as far as actual like okay i want to do a graphic designer but i don't have the budget for it Again, you can use things like Affinity or mm. Canva or, you know, gosh, I don't know the other things out there. But again, sp- a, spread- a spreadsheet that you can make look nice that you can export as a PDF. Google Docs can be a great way to make a character sheet depending on your game, right? So then you got the structure. You got the stuff that you're going to do. You've got your information figured out. You know what your structure is. You're figuring out the tools that are accessible to you to do it. The actual design stuff. For character sheet, font choice is huge, right? You want to be making sure the fonts that you are choosing are highly readable and highly legible. So readable is like, (laughs) I think, I mean, let me double check my blog real quick because I want to make sure you can edit this out. Sure. Design choices. So I'm going to be speaking kind of from my actual blog where it comes to like readability and uh, legibility. So legibility is all about whether you can make out the one of the examples I talk about is in my early graphic design days, way back in 2008, nine, I don't remember. I made a logo that was for a thing called Rite of Spring. And I chose like a Lord of the Rings font, you know, like elf script. And the T looks like a C. And so for years, I was going to the Rice of Spring. And <laughs> it, it, it's what, that's, what, that's what I mean by legibility. You want the letters to be distinct. People can read it very well. And then readability is all about contrast. So like if you have a black text box that you want to do a white, I would say do white text on top don't pick like a light gray or something close to black because there's no contrast there and you can't really read that. And that's readability. I try to stay away from using like what we call decorative fonts for information text. Like if you're having a line on your, like like let's think about Blades in the Dark or Band of Blades or Band of Blades where, you know, you're, 
your playbook has all of the playbook words for it, right? So like the hound has all the things that you can take. I would make that be a very legible, very readable font. Black on white with, you know, 10 point or higher if you can font that is of a dyslexic friendly choice. And you can find those if you Google them. Like you can Google dyslexic friendly fonts and find them or you know highly readable fonts you can actually go get like recommended stuff and there's a link to that in my blog as well because you don't it would be very very hard to read like three lines of text at 10 point that was all the blades in the dark like logo font you know it's not that's a decorative font that's for like headers and stuff so that's kind of the stuff that isn't related to like information structure that I think about on character sheets. White space is important for breathing for your brain. You know, don't be afraid to categorize your sheets into like, like we were talking about earlier. This is the combat sheet. This is the travel sheet, you know, that kind of stuff. So without going too much further, that would be my suggestions, my best practices for for the listeners for podcast mm-hmm. one. So so basically just to reiterate, playtesting iteration essentially is big. See how people are actually using the material you've presented them. See what what boxes they're breaking and which ones they like and figure out what so- there's a ton of free softwares out there that can help you do the thing you need to do. Google Docs is incredibly free. G- Google Excel, what's uh Google Sheets, <laughs> what is it called? It's incredibly <laughs> free. Canva has a very great free version. And if you're looking to spend on software, Affinity is uh super cheap right now. 25 the per the recording of this episode $25, which not everyone has $25 to spend on yeah. software, but that is uh, certainly a, a great price as compared to like Adobe Illustrator, which is the whole other Oh boy, yeah. a whole other thing that I have the privilege of using because of my day job mm-hmm. and by it's a privilege cuz I don't have to pay for it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then sort of like the big things are like text and color because those are the first sort of hurdles in terms of making sure something is legible can the text be read and can all of the like groupings be distinct in terms of their contrast and of their white space is that does that sum it up nicely yeah you did a great job that sounded wonderful yeah um (laughs) amazing those are that's really great stuff there and there's lots of like contrast checkers and things on the internet that you can use that are also free like just you could put colors in front of each other and see because there are i i dabbled myself in like some website design slash ux design stuff but there's like a uh grading system for what is contrastable and also takes into consideration i think at a general level of some ocular impairments yeah, yeah, they do. And I think I a lot of the stuff that is, you know, the digital UX can really be applied to, every, I mean, everything, not just, you know, book design and graphic design, but like product design mm-hmm. and just being aware of how people interact with the information or the tools that they're using is a huge skill that I, I'm happy to see it you know, filtering through spaces because there's also other UX designers and other accessibility like people in the space who are also putting forth this work and then putting out there. And it's nice to see it 
becoming more and more present. So yeah, it's, it makes me excited because it's like, yay, <laughs> I can talk about this. I've got a mass, put my master's degree to use in a fun way. Yeah, accessibility is a big topic on the show, especially recently. I've had a lot of designers on here, not only talking about for accessibility in terms of visual, but also accessibility in terms of rule scaffolding as well, because not, I mean, these have been the last two, three years have been the biggest for the RPG scene overall. Indie's getting a big rise and D&D so popular because of Dimension 20 and Critical Role and R- Rivals of Waterdeep and all, and all those shows and podcasts like yours, like Tabletop Babble and everything like that. The one, the one podcast or one shot network. There it is. I was like, what is it? All of, all of those are really powerful and uh, getting people to, everyone's like, just come be my friend and play with me. But the other thing, where was I going with this? Yes. Rule scaffolding in terms of like, not everyone is a veteran player. Not everyone like has the same training of the last 10, 15 years of playing that like, Oh, I don't understand how to play a role playing game. And then the book doesn't, like just says this is a role playing game two paragraphs and then off to the races you go whereas like it's not always that simple for someone so yeah i was going to say accessibility like you touch on isn't just visual stuff it's all sorts of mm-hmm. levels people forget like you know where can they get the game is it in my language is there closed captioning for this podcast mm. or sorry for the stream? Is there a transcript for this podcast? Like that all plays into just like you're trying to reach as many people who may not have that. You know, that's why I talk about like your graphic design. Like you don't have to have illustrator to do stuff like mm-hmm. you. It's there are things out there that are easier, that are more accessible and I think that when a game designer, when they come into stuff, it's like, oh, I have to have these tools. And it's like, no, not really. As long as your information is good and you take into consideration, like, these, like, good design practices, you'll be fine. Because, like, one of my favorite, like, design um, aesthetics is actually, like, the Swedish minimalism movement, Mm -hmm. where it's all very stark and it's high information design. I find that extremely aesthetically pleasing and accessible to me because my brain can comprehend and just easily see and read it. But yeah, yeah. Like you talked about like, like I've had people debate about whether or not certain games should have that. What is a role playing game section in their books? And it's like, you D and D is not everybody's first like touch point. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's funny how often people forget that D and D like isn't that for some people even i have been like thought that right because my first experience was D. Mm-hmm. but i i interview people now on tabletop babble that it's like no i started getting into role-playing games because of kids on bikes that's my reference and so they don't have the same like you said experience and knowledge and background and history with a game mm-hmm. and honestly i haven't played D in like five years and i honestly can't say i <laughs> have that knowledge anymore either. <laughs> it is it is way okay you know the world's only role-playing game there are other ones out there you know <laughs> yeah yeah there's a whole world of stuff out there 
And there are some people executing on all of these subjects and looking to, I mean, past guests, Gem Room Games, Kali Lori is new to the tabletop scene. And one of her big design philosophies is like, for people like me who are coming into our games, are we scaffolding them appropriately? Chris Bissett has talked about a number of times of just being kind, like inserting content warnings into your game on like the cover. So like, because people can get surprised if you don't uh, put that stuff up front. Like I think about uh, Band of Blades does this to some extent about having a content warning in the beginning of the book talking about horror which is great like it's in the first eight pages if you're looking at on like a store shelf and you're kind of like riffing through it it's good to put that stuff there because if you don't and someone gets that game and has issues with body horror or loss of agency or anything like there that's a negative review that's negative feedback that's a negative experience that you provide to that person and you you could have taken just an extra 20 minutes to just put slap on some content warning (laughs) topics yeah yep i i think about that kind of stuff too i was thinking about like examples though going back to more like learning scaffolding and stuff Mm -hmm. and there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And one of the games that really surprised me. But prior to that game, so... That was just a teaser. Other games that I've liked that I've seen is like Avery Alder's books like Monster Hearts 2 Mm -hmm. and uh, The Quiet Year. For me, when I was first getting my master's degree and I was also doing one shots for my shape, Shape Shift, my show, which is a show that I captured all of my GMing in. Like I didn't GM before. Shape Shift was literally like the show I was like, 
how best to get over my anxiousness about GMing. I'll record myself, of course. And I did, and I listened to it, and I edited it as well, because I just love torturing myself. It's all in the pursuit of overcoming things, and I do it in my way, and I, I did it because I wanted to. It was no pressure, so I did it with good mental health stuff in mind. But anyway, as I was learning about other games and playing them for my show... I loved how the information, the scaffolding, building up and like teaching you how to play the game as you read the game. And I'm like, it's like in video game design too. Like there's a show, gosh, I cannot remember. It's like it's Game Maker's Toolkit is a channel Ugh. on YouTube. Oh, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> they just did, uh, he just did one or they just did one on on this exact topic. Yeah. Like yep. accessibility in games. And I was like, it's my degree, but also in video games right now. <laughs> and it's huge because it teaches you like the game to teach you teaches you how to play and they i think they were explaining things like you know civ 5 and like other like those kinds of strategy games sometimes they're so overwhelming to get into and there's like world city builders that i want to play from that episode anyway you guys should go check it out so 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 avery alder that's where i was at (laughs) great games good scaffolding as you learn and so recently (laughs) the game that i'm really into is quest quest rpg to me my dog is coughing. One second. Are you done? You're okay. <laughs> okay. I'm just making sure she's not going to like start hacking up her lungs. I'm leaving it in. Okay. Get out of here, puppy. <laughs> she's actually like 14 years old. So Quest. Oh. Quest I'm super, super, super into right now. In fact, I'm so into it. I did a spotlight show of it on tabletop babble where i reviewed it and i kind of like walked people through it and then Mm. i also did that as a video so it's on geekspective's channel as well and to me that game kind of like hits every mark for me as far as what i personally am looking for for an accessible game as far as design information structure scaffolding content how they even like say in their book hey if you bought a pdf and you want to share it with your friends? Go ahead. But in the you know, if you want to go do that, do that. We're fine with it. But of course, you know, if you want to pay us, that's great. Or just you know, whatever. That that kind of that is also accessibility, access to games and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, mm, Quest right now is my big thing. Yeah, I I've also been able to check out the Quest PDF as well and the concept of like its grid design for all of like the character class sections and everything like the learning pads and how it breaks up abilities and everything like that. It's really cool in the way that like it layers. Amber, I think all the time about the video game tutorial and bringing it to tabletop games like all the time like like literally having like if this is your first time running this game or if this is your first time with a group of players that are playing this game for the first time here's an adventure you can do where it will slowly layer all the mechanics on top of each other that will show them how to operate or execute the game it's something i really am like trying to think about how to write and design for because so i just started a campaign of scum and villainy the other weekend Mm. and i didn't include the flashback mechanic 
at all. Didn't mention it. Didn't want to say anything about it because I wanted them to simply... It's one, the flashback mechanic is nowhere on the character sheet. So how are they supposed to remember (laughs) that it exists? Um, Everything else is on there. Well, not everything else because then like what downtime actions is. There's a ton of things that could be improved about that character sheet design. And I think you in your blog you do a really excellent redesign of like pre-made Blades in the Dark sheets, which are really, really cool. I think you get it down to like half a sheet of paper and I still feel like I can play the game. Uh, yeah. The other mm-hmm. half could have like rules on them. Right. But yeah, I think about the tutorial adventure all the time of like, hey, take them through in this room. They're going to fight two goblins. This is where you can teach them about some basic combat things. In this room, they have to search for something. This is how skill checks work. In this room, we're going to combine a couple of things we've already done. Uh, Let's see what that looks like. Like all those steps to sort of dice one evening of play, one one shot, and then how, how much more equipped and ready would your players be to continue playing in that same campaign or playing that same game, right? Uh, I... I agree wholeheartedly, and I would love that too. And I will give you a real-world example of how that could have saved a night of heartache. So my gaming group, like I told you, seven years played D&D. D&D 3.5. Seven years, same group of people. We always played D&D. And then my, my, my business partner and best friend Josh said, I would like to try something different. This Blades in the Dark sounds great. I love the idea of this. And then he tried to get us to play it. And I kid you, to to change your mind from D&D to Blades in the Dark, it was my brother and I play in that game. And he and I both get very frustrated when we don't understand stuff. And... I kid you not, there was actual legit pouting happening at the table. Like, we were like, we don't like Blades of the Dark. We don't understand Blades of the Dark. I don't know what you're talking about. Roll two and resist how? How do I resist anything? Like, I became a toddler, right? Like, it was like, you know, maybe if I was with people that I wasn't comfortable with, I would be more sulky and not, you know, as petulant child. But I was, we were full petulant children. And we were doing it for a podcast. And poor Josh, I had to edit so much of that out because we were like, I, f- I don't even want to resist it. I'll just die. I don't care. <laughs> like, we were so... And I'd say this, I feel so sorry for him. He's such a patient man. <laughs> but I'm saying, like, that, that kind of, like, that kind of scaffolding, building, that tutorial thing probably would have helped ease us in from that transition from D and D mindset to a more D six system that had more like you, you can roll whatever you want. I, what are you talking about? I don't have things circled in. Like that was, it was a very difficult situation, but yeah, real world experience that could have helped a tutorial. Uh, You were talking about how blades in the dark, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to you and your brother. And it created sort of a negative experience for you where you were like, I'm not about this game. I don't want to play it because it doesn't make sense to me. And uh, it was legitimate frustration. And, you know, in, in the concept of this tutorial adventure or tutorial play, how much easier would it have been 
of like, hey, in this section, like literally read the rule for actions here, have them roll some actions, and then move on. Oh, now this room is about to explode with ghosts. Have them make a resistance roll here, right? And I think another coupling to that is, again, like not every rule that is necessary to the game is present on the character sheets, and it could definitely be structured in a way that reminds you how to do resistance rolls tells you what a fortune roll is like those here's the thing resistance rolls are so integral to the game in terms of how you defend yourselves because the the game master is supposed to push on you a bunch Mm -hmm. because you're the underdogs why isn't that on the character sheet why is the teamwork stuff on the character sheet but the resistance roll stuff is not doesn't make sense to me right and i was gonna take a stab at redesigning the the blades in the dark character sheet but we got through the game and I ended up never t- getting the time to do it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was a lot of stuff like I got, and a lot of that, that frustration came from changing our mindset from a game where we planned a lot out. You have all your gear, you know what you have, you know what you're going to do to a game where you're supposed to kind of go into it kind of like on the fly. Right. And like using load, using flashback. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was such a jarring transition for our entire group that it really took us like three real sessions to be like okay i got it and then even then we still needed to change how we played it we needed more downtime stuff because we liked the role-playing side of things more than we liked doing the heist stuff which is kind of funny now it's like (laughs) that was a whole the whole game's heist why (laughs) but he you know josh wanted to try something out different and i respect that because you can only play seven years of D&D for twice a month for so long, you know? Yes, I think that there needs to be a consideration for scaffolding, not only in the in terms of getting the game master to understand the game, but I think there's also... Because here's the thing, the game master is the one who's going to buy the game, the facilitator, whatever the word we want to use here today for the person who buys the book and then presents, basically does like a, uh, a presentation of like, here's how <laughs> this system operates, right? Like, let's give them the aid to pitch the game in a way that makes sense. I, th- I think the game I mentioned earlier, Aegon, has like a three-paragraph stint that you can like email or message to your friends of like, hey, just send them this. This is what the game is about. And we're going to be those are the things you're going to be executing on in this play, right? And so that's certainly one step to it, but I think there's a step of like, you know, when you open up Adobe Illustrator or Affinity Design or any of these like design tools, they do have like help bubbles or they even have built in tutorials of like, hey, here's a practice project you could use to learn how to use the shape tool. Like, Mm -hmm. let's expand that into play because if we go back to the computer analogy, software has tutorials. Why can't tabletop games have tutorials? Yeah, I agree. And I think it's it's funny, like we're having this discussion and I'm interested in, you know, the game designers who hear this and then go forward and make these changes to their games to be more accessible in these ways. Because it's funny, I was talking about this with somebody else where how D&D has a whole secondary market that is built around people who are explaining the game you know like there's so much Mm -hmm. so many things out there that are specifically about how do you do this how do you do that or like 
spell cards or custom character mm-hmm, sheets and whatever mm-hmm. to make it easier for people. There's this whole market out there. And I'm glad, you know, people make your money off of companies, wheel, you know, unwieldy, large, lots of knowledge game. That's <laughs> I'm more power to you. But I'm, I'm interested, interested in seeing the future of role playing games, like mm. the understanding. And I just think how we as a society is changing in our awareness, at least within the community indie scene, the awareness is arising that if accessible games in all these regards just means that you're going to meet more people, which if you're doing this for business for money too, that means more people who will buy, be able to buy and enjoy your game. So like, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's uh, a weird, maybe not weird, but there's a business thought where like, hey, I have to make the trad RPG to bring in a larger demographic, whereas you could bring in a larger demographic if you made a more accessible set of text or anything of that nature. It would elicit more consumer or more potential consumers if you changed your processes of writing that is different from the traditional sense of of game creation you know putting in what is a role-playing game section putting in a tutorial adventure making a audiobook version of your game right to some extent like i know that there are a couple people i've talked to that are doing exactly that literally right now john east over (laughs) on twitter just came out with oh shoot empowered I can't look at my phone because it's my webcam. I'm sorry, John. I don't have the the information here. Right? Wait, I have a whole ass computer. No, I'm already struggling on internet. I'm sorry, John. But John did an audiobook. Jeff Stormer of Party of One podcast also did an audio or is working on an audio version for Anyone Can Wear the Mask. Chris Bissett is also working on an audio version for... I might get this wrong. The Dragon Game? I'm sorry, Chris, if I muck that up again. I don't... My phone is my webcam, and I don't want to stress <laughs> out my computer's internet any any further. But, yeah, I, I think there's a, a really untapped market out there. And then me and, me and Spencer Campbell talk about all the time of live RPGs that live strictly in a digital space that do mm-hmm. not go to print ever. And then we got, come into conversations of, like, color corrected art for people that have different color blindnesses right like having different modes for art in a pdf or not even a pdf but like on a website version or anything like that but even then like getting your game into a moby reader situation which is more applicable for e-readers and everything like that epubs and and everything of that nature like a digital like embracing the digital embracing accessibility can also net a different consumer base that is frankly mostly ignored in yep. in the tabletop scene. And sometimes it's some people don't know what the direction is or the journey to to get those things for their games. Other people still do print stuff and they worry about well if I include all of that then the then the pages of my game goes up and then the printing cost and et cetera, et cetera. But it's like I I understand those pain points, but again, you get a wider consumer base if you think about those things that other people are not thinking about. Sure, and I I think it's one of those things in this age of Kickstarters and crowdfunding and stuff, you can build that into your budget. Yeah. And more and more I'm seeing, like, you know, that is built in. Or as a designer who is being asked to work on stuff, 
and getting to see the behind the scenes stuff, people are thinking about that kind of stuff exactly. Like how much would it cost to make do a form fillable thing or do all this for PDF or do that for e-reader or do this. And it's like, you can build that into your budget. It's, it's, it's just a good thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I am trying to get better at it myself. I mean, same. Stuff is stuff is difficult when you obviously have, you know, we're human. We think about our experience usually and try to go from that to begin with. And I have to keep reminding myself even as a as a designer in the space that I need to be thinking about these things basically constantly. Yeah. 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 Amber, in this section, first of all, thank you for all the helpful uh, informations you've given potentially other support members of the community, but also those who may be seeking support help and they're making their games come true. We're in the trends section, so this trend can be related to UX design. It can be related to the tabletop industry. Uh, It's going to be kind of an amorphous uh, grab bag of topic, but... Are there any trends that you're seeing in your social circles or your communities? Yes. I do have one that seems very all of a sudden strange to me, but it came out of nowhere. And I was like, wow, I'm getting a lot of requests for this type of work, which is to say card games. Like I'm getting a lot of, can you do layout for cards? Because we're thinking about doing card storytelling games. And I was like, what? Okay. I like literally got four requests about laying out card games and working on them. And I'm like, huh, this is, I mean, it's not really to UX. Maybe it's just the trend in the field right now. But I think like the portability of it, the emphasis on a lot of story mm-hmm. stuff and kid, kid friendly stuff, kid centered stuff right now seems to be pretty big. Right now I'm seeing like, one of the games I'm working on is a kid-centered card storytelling game. I can't really talk about it yet. Another one that I'm really interested in is Inspiralings, I think, by it's a it's a kid-centered game, but it teaches people how to do sign language, which is awesome. So yeah, that's the trends I'm seeing in the game space, at least what's coming around my plate. But other than that, like accessibility is a huge topic right now like we basically talked this entire episode of about that and everybody it just seems to be the the way right now Mm -hmm. like it's 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 here it's being discussed and it's being executed upon and that's a huge thing as far as like graphic design and like art styles I am kind of out of touch because (laughs) I, like I said, I tend to myself, my personal style is very much in a like minimalist Swedish information design, Mm -hmm. like space, uh, space odyssey, 2001, a space odyssey is like my jam. The Loki Marvel TV show aesthetically (laughs) is my jam. I love that stuff. And so it's nice to see it, see it in the old and also in new things. And then the other one I was thinking of was, what did I see? Oh no, ADHD brain. I was thinking about Loki. <laughs> so hot. Because <laughs> it's Wednesday tomorrow and I get a new episode. There was something else. 
Oh, shoot. Minimalistic Swiss. That's me. It's gone. It's gone to time. It's lost. Whatever. This is is what I live like. You know, (laughs) I walk into a room, pick up a Slim Jim, put it down, forget why I'm hungry. I'm like, I thought I ate that Slim Jim. I look at it. It's still there. Well, if you wake up at midnight and want to do an overdub, feel free to shoot me that audio file. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, I remember what it is. Yeah. There are so many streamers right now that are getting into TTRPGs, like new time streamers, like like, we've never played, we've just been doing video games, and now they're like, we're playing RPGs. Like, there's a huge boom of streamers who are doing this now, which I'm, like, super into and excited, which to me says, hey, indie space, consider in your Kickstarter budget marketing money to have streamers pay and do a show for your game. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's important. Well, it depends on the person and their relationship with that sort of structure and their friends, right? When we think about critical role, they are in fact a bunch of friends who are burping and farting to some extent on their own public forum of yeah. a million viewers. <laughs> but yeah, I totally agree that there should be like an outlet where you don't have to exercise, like you said, like entertainment etiquette. For the viewership. But that's also why I'm a big proponent for like pre-recorded stuff as far yep. as I I just think there's a really different energy when you know you're going to be performing live in front of somebody and then when you're like at home just chilling mm-hmm. and you know, you gotta let out a burp or a fart. You can edit it out and still have the goofy, wacky times you were all meant yep. to have. I think those are all amazing trend pieces for Sure. Are there any trends within yourself that you would like to see more people execute on? Like, I know accessibility has been a big one for us here, but any additionals to that? Man, I don't know. That is a good question. I I just want to see what I've been seeing, and I want to see more of it. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything off the top of my head right now. I think the problem with it is because I've been a bit an because I've been in a manager position at my job for so long, I'm kind of out of my industry in a way where mm-hmm. it's like at some point you stop executing on yeah. design and you end up just making spreadsheets for people and calling people and finding information. And so I'm kind of I'm kind of out of the the um kind of out of the loop as far as like trends in graphic design and that kind of stuff or what's out there so yeah i i can't think of anything i don't know again if i think of it when i wake up at midnight and go oh my god i'll 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 record an audio and i'll send it to you i would love to receive like three or four audio overdubs like yeah this is what i was thinking here I'll come back later, make it sound like I knew what I was talking about at the moment that you asked. Well, you've been truly an expert in all the arenas we've talked about today, and I am happy to have had any portion of explanation from your own noggin, because it's been great and unique to this show so far, so... Cool, thank you. I'm so happy. Like, sometimes you forget, oh yeah, I do this for the dollars that support my life i guess i kind of know what i'm doing huh (laughs) people hire you for a reason yeah (laughs) um so i guess last bit here 
would probably be more directed to those, to more support staff members of the community rather than game designers. Do you have any tips for maybe like the budding graphics designer, UX designer of like, and this could relate to anything like resources they should look up or use, or what are some good business practices that you've uh, found useful to you? Okay. Several things. I have a lot of thoughts on this. I love it. One, contracts. Contracts, contracts, contracts. If somebody comes to you and wants you to do a logo design, if somebody wants comes to you and wants to do a layout design, get get a contract. In fact, I'm so inspired by this. I'm going to put up on my blog a template contract for graphic designers to use. Okay, I'll do that. By the time this podcast episode comes out, go to rocketorca.com. I will put out a template you can use that I use. Second thing, if somebody comes to you and they want you to lay out a book, the rates that I have personally been charging have been anywhere between eight to ten dollars a page for a book. Okay, I think it's very important that we talk about this kind of stuff in the industry. Mm-hmm. What rates are going? Basically, there's lots of resources out there about how to 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 figure out what you're worth, but you should be at least getting paid minimum wage, $15 an hour. Figure out what that means for you. If you want to be charged more, if you're full-time freelance, you know, make sure you're budgeting for not just the bare minimum because you pay your own taxes and all that crap. So know your rates and don't be afraid to charge for your time because that's a huge thing. I know that feeling of like, oh my God, I'm charging too much. They're not going to pay me. No. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. do it three if somebody also wants you to do layout design work make sure they're in copy lock don't start laying out stuff until people have my text is edited and it's done and there mm-hmm. are no more changes that totally affects your time and if somebody does that to you and they change stuff you should be paying for changes that's part of my contract if you make me do a certain amount of revisions beyond a certain point I'm going to be charging you per hour to do that stuff. Like, that's really important. Communication is super, super important. Like, being professional, like, communications, not taking things personally. Like, if you get passed over or, like, for me, for instance, for instance, I'm paid to do a logo. I do the logo. Months go by. I come back. And guess what? They've, they've, edit, they've taken my logo and they've overskinned it with another style. Okay, fine. Like, I could have done that, but they obviously wanted to go with another graphic designer to do that work for them. Totally fine. I got paid for the work that I did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a personal slight. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It's That's the industry. Like, you can't take things personally. So, yeah, I think those are, like, my big, big things. Get a contract. Know your worth. Make sure if you're doing book layout, it's in copy lock. They're ready to move forward. Mm-hmm. Communication super, super important. Be professional about it. Don't take things personally. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree on all those fronts. As far as like, especially on the rates thing, I think there's this really, my partner is a visual artist and we have conversations about like the race to the bottom as being a creative. And the other thing too is like, as far as those are the rates that work for for Amber, but it's also important to like be Keep in mind the relativity of what your lifestyle currently costs, and then charge yep. around that, right? So, like, from I'll be totally like transparent here. I think I've I think I've done this on one other episode of the podcast that hasn't released yet, per this recording. But so my all of my bills amount to about twenty or eighteen thousand dollars for the year. Like that's hand to mouth. Like if I was making paycheck to paycheck, that's what I need to make, right? So. For any of my freelance stuff, 
I am in constant consideration of like, okay, how much time can I afford to do this project? What's that going to cost to me? Like it, in relativeness, it may not be that expensive for someone to hire me to do X thing. But for me, I'm like, okay, but that's hand to mouth. So then I got to think about taxes. And then I got to think about what about like an emergency fund? Like how am I, if I'm uh, yeah. creating, if, if I'm creating and getting and charging people hand to mouth, like what if I have to go to the hospital or fix my car or any of those variables, right? I, I won't be prepared for that if I'm just doing that. There's this YouTube channel I watch called The Future with Chris Doe has really interesting insights on like how to value yourself as creative. But one of his rules of thumb that he gives to new creators or people who are trying to figure out what to charge, if you're looking at a like a pie graph, 50% of that amount should be like your income or or should be your cost of living. So that's your health care. That's your rent. That's your utilities. That's your food. All that 50% of your income should be that. Another 30% should be all those emergency fund things. So take that 50%, multiply it by 30%, find that amount. That's probably around you should be charging for the year. Like break that down by month, break that down by week, figure out how like how long does a typical I guess that's a hard question to ask. How long does a typical like logo take you to turn around? Right, for me, depending on the complexity and this is another thing is I build out my rates per complexity. Do yeah. you, are you looking for just typography? Are you looking for typography with geometry like shapes primarily? Or are you looking for something that's more drawn, mm-hmm. right? So I know, you know, I also charge like a flat fee. So if you're like, I want to make a logo, I need it to be typography, just typography, I'm gonna say it's gonna be 150 bucks plus like, I don't know, $25, $30 an hour for me to do ideation research or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I, that flat fee stays as I go up because I'm I'm not keeping the copyright. Mm-hmm. That for me is comfortable to me say, okay, I'm ch- I'm charging $150 because you own this. Yeah, I don't want royalties from it. It's yours. I don't, you put it on a bag, sell it. I don't care. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. But I'm charging you by the hour for the other stuff that I'm doing. And I have known myself for a while how I work because I've been doing this for like 13 years now. Mm-hmm what I can do to make that base pay cover for insurance cover for all this other stuff. Although I do have a full time actual corporate job. I'm trying to make the transition. We'll see if that happens. (laughs) But yeah, another thing that I was going to say going along this kind of stuff and knowing things, you end up becoming your own bookkeeper and everything you buy or purchase that's going to your freelance is part of like what you can write off for taxes. So when you buy fonts, when you buy assets or resources mm-hmm. or brushes that's all part if you were in the ttrpg space and you are buying books like everything i kickstarted this year is actually i kickstarted for a specific purpose of either i love the game or i thought the layout was really cool or a good concept and i want to use it for inspiration that can be written off mm-hmm. so start early on building your spreadsheets of keeping stuff and as for as resources knowing things can be expensive like buying those stuff one of my favorite websites to use right now is called creative market and every Monday, they send you an email with like free stuff. Like basically, here's five samplings of free things. It's usually like two fonts, some patterns, maybe a brush or wow. like a template. It's really great. They have it in all sorts of like AI, JPEGs, PNG, EP, all sorts of files, anything you can think of. I love it. And there's no shame in using these assets. I used to be the person who was like, as a graphic designer, I must create 
everything <laughs> from scratch, much like how I used to GM. I will not use any ideas that anybody else ever used. I will sit in the shower for three hours and I will come up with an entire world for my, my players. <laughs> I can... Ha, using somebody else's riddles? No, I will make a unique riddle just for me and my players. No, don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Don't be me. I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> there is skill and craft in taking what is available and then arranging it mm. and molding it and changing it to fit your needs. So mm. please do that. Don't be Amber of last year. What was that again? <laughs> CreativeMarket.com. Dot gun. No, dot com. That was a callback. <laughs> Bringing it back because... full circle. Yeah, it's, you know, take into consideration your turnaround time. Take around into consideration, like, when you want to get stuff done. And here's the thing, too. What it, it's maybe sort of, like, a, a more nuanced topic from person to person. But that same gentleman, Chris, talked about how he has two interns at the time of this video that he was doing about the income breakdown. The other 20% is made up by like, if you want to do investments, like if you want to do capital and, and sure, sure. S- some growing money. Um, but he was like, Ricky, how long does it take you to do a video? He's like, Oh, well, like if to do a really good video, it takes me about like eight weeks or something like that. He's like, okay, Frank, what is it? How long does it take you to do a video? Probably about a week, a week and a half. And he's like, so here's the thing, Ricky, is that, I know you want to take eight weeks to like fully polish up this this video, but at the rates you're charging, understand that you're working two months for a thousand dollars. Is that going to pay your rent and everything like that? Whereas yeah. Frank over here is charging the same a thousand dollars and getting his job done in a week and a half. He made four thousand dollars that month. Don't you want to make four thousand dollars for the month? Like it's it's also like figure out efficiencies and optimizations that could help sure. your workflow, right? Is But, you know, everyone's neurodivergence is going to affect that. And that's what I was going to bring up, too, is like, and then in communicating that to your client, yeah, right? Yep. Like, my big thing, too, is I'm very upfront with the people I work with. Like, you're going to have to ping me. Like, if you mm-hmm. haven't heard from me by Friday, it's not because I forgot the project. It's just like, I, I forgot to talk to you. I'm working on stuff, but I just forget to update you because... I'll have this wonderful thing where I go, I must do X. And my brain goes, okay, you did it. And I go, all right. And I walk off and go do something else. And I'm very upfront with that to let them know. And I'm, I'm same way in my, in my work world with my actual corporate job. I run my team like that because we need to know how we work mm-hmm. to, as a manager. If it's going to take, don't tell me it's going to take you three days when you know every week you have at least one day that you bottom out, right? Mm-hmm. Know yourself, know how you work, because I would be happy as a manager if you told me eight days and you got it to me in five yep. versus you told me eight days and you get it to me in 10, you know, yeah. Yeah. like you're two days late at that point. Budget yourself a little time, especially if you have like me, mental health stuff going on and you're neurodivergent and you know, like, again, I don't know, like, as a, as a, like, if I was gonna hire you, right? Mm-hmm. You tell me 10 days. I'm like, wow, 10 days. Mm-hmm. But you know that you can really get it done in like six. It's mm-hmm. just that you're budgeting for, for, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm the, I don't know that. It's gonna take you 10 days. Okay, cool. 10 days. No mm-hmm. problem. But if you tell me, you know, six, 
and then it takes four extra, then I'm going, hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to the opposite, where you get it done six out of ten, and you're like, wow, that was... Wow. They really prioritized me (laughs) and got it done. And, I mean, I feel manipulative, but it's actually, like, just good practice for yourself. Especially, like, for me, being ADHD and having depressive episodes, like, I just know... I have to add usually two to three days because who freaking knows what yeah. my brain's going to do on any given day. So, and even the touch on like that contract section of of the tip you gave is is also to consider like setting expectations both to please the consumer who's shelling out maybe a large like this, yes this Chris Doe person is like charges. I think his minimum engagement is like $4,000 for a logo. That's like the base level for anything. And then it just rises based on what you're using that logo for. Uh, but it's about setting expectations for both yourself so that you're not getting taken advantage of, stating how many revisions you're going to do. It, it, revisions is you like could build a, a You could line. build a... Yeah, you could build a schedule into your contract yeah. as well. Yep. You yeah, could, and you I've could done do that. Briefings and things. You could schedule out briefings like, hey, in two weeks we're going to chat about these concepts that I have. Let's see what goes from there. And the opposite is true of the person who's shelling out the dollars to give you. It's like, oh, cool. I'm going to get this in about 10 days. Here's like a full schedule of what everything looks like. And as long as yep. you've like behind the scenes taken into account like, the one day you may not want to do any work, right? Like, we all have yep. that day of, like, I just, I'm not getting off the couch today. I just want to eat yep. and watch TV. That's it. <laughs> yep, yep. I budget for those days because if I'm doing too much, I'll just burn myself out yeah. and then I don't get anything done. And then I, it's the anxiety <laughs> wheel. It's stacks and stacks. We love it. Yep. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazing. I think those are those are all. Any any other things you want to leave us with, Amber, before we start the, the closing process here? No, I think I'm good. Cool. You good? You good, listeners? You good? Okay, I'm good. (laughs) Ultra good. Amber, it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. You've been a very special guest to me. For the last time, would you once again give your plugs, your links, anything that you're willing to do for people? All these links will be available for you listeners down below in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, no problem. And again, thank you so much. I love... I could talk forever. So my social media is uh, Rocket Orca. That is like, you know, shooting a rocket and it's a killer whale. Rocket Orca. <laughs> That's basically, there's a story behind it. Uh, never. That's for another time. So Rocket Orca is where you can find me on Twitter, Instagram. I also have art accounts of the same uh, name, but underscore art. You can find basically my portfolio and everything like link wise on my website rocketorca.com that's got my blog that we've talked about a couple times we'll have that template contract up for everybody if you're a graphic designer it also has like links to my etsy and my patreon and uh, my ko-fi and then also like all my podcast work which most of it has been on geekspective.com that's my podcast network i co-own with my friends josh and dave and there's a bunch of shows that i am on and host so the ones i host is tabletop babble that's an interview talk show with people in the industry i've been focusing on a lot of indie people people who don't usually get a lot of 
spotlight and attention. And so I've been focusing on a lot of those, trying to be very diverse and get them on. Uh, Shapeshift, like I said, is my show where I GM. So if you want to hear me GMing, that's a great one. You can hear it from when I first started and would cry after every game. Not on the show, but alone in the dark after the game was run. <laughs> Tales from Moxferry is a game where I get to be my ridiculous characters. We played Blades in the Dark for one season. We did Godbound for another one. And we're getting ready to do Beam Saber for our third season. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Spoiler alert, I decided to turn into a crab as a mech. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It came to me in a dream or something. I don't know. And then, yeah, Red Mage, Blue Mage. I love Magic the Gathering. It's a show where I get to rant a lot about R&D. So... <laughs> I, I get very slurpy on that show and very passionate about magic stuff. And then, yeah, there's other shows, Dames and Dragons. Just check it all out. Powered by the Players is another one that's all powered by the Apocalypse games. My God, there's so much. Go to geekspective.com. And <laughs> as far as like, w- yeah, as, as far as like actual work stuff, I'm actually kind of taking a step back from freelance. So if you do want to like work with me, it might not be right at the moment. It's because, exciting thing, I took a part-time graphic design position with Kobold Press. Woo! So I'm working for them right now. Woo! And that means I don't have as much time as I would like to do other stuff. But shoot your shot. Maybe I have space. We'll see. <laughs> well, thank you for all of that, Amber. Um, everyone, it has been an absolute pleasure to sit down with Amber today. I hope that you have had a blast learning because I know I have. And we will catch you next time. Say bye to the people, Amber. Bye, people. Bye, people. Bye. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for taking the time to sit down and hang out with Amber and I. We really appreciate it. You can find links and resources down below in the show notes, such as getting in touch with Amber or other episodes with similar topics. If you want to be a part of the conversation, please come and join the community Discord server. Also, make sure to subscribe to the Draw Your Dice Patreon, where you can get access to early releases of episodes from as soon as we interview. Thanks again for stopping by, and as always, I will catch you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.